Welcome to Campfire, connecting primary producers. Campfire provides a solution-focused community for farmers and fishers to improve work systems and support mentally healthy workplaces. Of Australia's 130,000 farms, the bulk of them are family-owned. The daily reality of this in Victoria is that thousands and thousands of families are working together and often also living together on the family farm, blurring the lines between the workplace and the home front. How, though, can you make those lines clear and in the process create the best possible business and family environments? John Bruins is an advisor who's been helping family businesses achieve their goals and also navigate the sometimes challenging moments for over 30 years. He joins me in the National Centre for Farmer Health studio to delve into how to find an effective work-farm-family balance. John, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Drew. It's a pleasure to be on this podcast with you. John, are family farms unique from other family businesses or does there need to be a different approach to effectively managing work issues, relationships and decision-making? It doesn't matter whether it's a farm or a retail shop or a manufacturing factory, that kind of thing, because it's the dynamics. What we need to separate out are the conversations about family conversations about business and if you want to take a different perspective again we talk about the ownership so there's three different systems at play in any business that's owned by a family and it's not just that mum and dad work the land with son and daughter and you know this is the way it's going to keep going if mum and dad own the land that's one part of it they also possibly own a family house in town which can be a different part of it, not on the farm. They can also own possibly a holiday house. They can also possibly own some shares or other investments, in which case the conversations about what we're going to have transitioning between mum and dad and the next generation and even further generations is not just a conversation about the day-to-day -day operating of the farm and the profits that it makes, but then where does the money go and how does it transition between generations. John, often though the family farm is involved with people living on the property, the place that makes the money as well, and the family home is often in there as well. But you think that's just part of that three-pronged structure, you're able to separate that out? Well, we need to discuss it to see what belongs in which part. So if mum and dad have a property of 10,000 acres or 4,000 hectares or the language of today, and there are three family homes on it, and the kids are living in the family homes and they all live in their own houses on the farm, that's fine, but who owns the farm and who owns those houses? Who put the money in to build the houses? If they've been given to the children, then if you're going to give a house to a child, is it including the land that the house is sitting on or isn't it? So Can you see I'm starting to challenge the way that the mind works about how do we separate stuff? John, in regards to the family dynamic or actually really running the business on a day-to-day -day basis, how important is defining clear roles for family members and also workers in a business? It's critical that we have everybody knowing what job they have, where they sit, what their responsibilities are. It's really important 
But it's like there's two sides to this coin as well, because in a family, you'll know that you're the dad. You'll know that you're the mum. You'll know that you're the number one son or the number two son or the number one daughter or the number two daughter. And you will never get rid of that positioning in the family. However, when you go into the business, you need to know who's the leader of the business, who's the CEO, who's the one that everybody goes to for the answers, who's the one that sets the strategy. And then there's going to be those next layer down of employees and the employees can include family members. But what are the rules to be inside that family business? You need to know what the rules are. Do you get hired and fired the same way as a non-family member? Do you get the same salary as somebody who has the same expertise as you from outside the family? If you muck up and you're a family member, how do you get sacked? So there's, there's all of these different things that come up that we're trying to get some idea on. If you're in the family, bloodline holds you in the family. But then if you're thinking three or four generations down the track, there's going to be a lot more cousins and you'll be bringing in different blood from different lines that will have different cultural backgrounds and different life experiences. And that will have an effect on how these people think when they come to work. So you need to have a pretty clear idea about what work is all about and what jobs you've got and who's got the jobs and why they've got them and why the business is even working with family members in it. So, John, does that then require putting in place a clear structure, something like a family charter or or another system that the family business puts in place to help create a supportive and effective workplace? If you want to put a family charter in place, the family charter is there and it's not a legally binding document. It's a document that's created by the family. And what it articulates is what your family values are and what the business values are. And they may be different. They may be totally aligned. But, I mean, loving each other is nice as a family value, but you don't necessarily have to love each other in the business. Profit might be a value in the business or growth or growing the capital. So that's a different value that might not be inside your family values. But if you don't know them, it's harder to make decisions and have discussions. So in my mind, it's really great to have a discussion on values And that then can be put into a charter. And then every few years, the family can come together and say, well, what's changed? Or what do we want to change? Or what do we think it will be like? And what will work for us as a family in business together? John, working and living together on a family farm environment can be delicate. What are some tools to help resolve work-related conflicts while keeping family relationships intact? A very simple tool is when you have conversations about the farm, make sure they're on the farm. If you're going to have a family conversation around the dinner table at night, try and keep it to family. Try not to talk about what the price of sheep is or whether or not you're going to get the hay to market or the crop of oats or whatever it is. Separating the conversations, having actual time so that you can be free of the business of running a farm is important. And farmers have a 24-7 life. It's never a break if you're on the farm or you're at the farm or you're doing farm stuff. So it's really important that you every now and again take a break from the farm with the kids or with the parents so that you get a chance to see what the family is like without being at work 24-7. John, what would be one key piece of advice you would give to any family farm business on how to work effectively? Communicate. 
keep the lines of communications open. Whenever there's a disagreement, it's okay to stand up and walk away. Just make sure that tomorrow, that there's an agreement between you and whoever the argument's with, that tomorrow you come back, the argument's gone, and then you come back with a fresh page and you're able to have the conversation again, hopefully to come to a resolution. Life won't give you perfection, but what you can try and do is come to agreement and work forward. So keeping that lines of communication open is important. And when you're communicating and something's not going your way, don't go to someone else in the family to try and resolve it for you. Stick one-on-one. What I'm talking about here is a triangle. So if you go to somebody else to try and solve the problem, to talk to that other person you're not getting along with, you just make it worse. If you've got a problem with somebody, try to resolve it with that person and let things go. If you want to stay family, there's always going to be a point in time when you're going to want to let things go. Letting things go is a mantra also shared by Hugh McDonald, whose family has been sheep farming near Hamilton for nearly 70 years. Discussions about family involvement in the farm, and in particular succession planning, are topics Hugh's been talking with his two sons about since they were in their 20s. The older son obviously loves the property because that's where he grew up, but he realises that farming is not really what he wants to do. He's in finance. But the other son is very keen and he's involved in selling fertiliser. He's got his uh, share in the business selling fertiliser, but he's very much involved in the management of the property, even though he's not working on it all the time at the moment. How's he involved in the management of the property, Hugh? If I go back a step or two, knowing that one did and one didn't, or wanting to really flesh that out and formalise it, we actually started a succession plan. And the succession plan was undertaken by a fellow who was the same age or a similar age to the boys, around 30 at the time. And we felt that having him involved being more closely aligned to the thinking of the boys was better than using some of our crusty old advisors and the boys would probably think, well, they're really going to funnel it in towards our thinking. So we had a meeting with him and then he met individually with the boys and um, to the boys' credit, they knew what each other wanted, I guess. And um, we worked on a succession plan and that's been very successful. So that then gave the younger one George an opportunity to focus on what he wanted to do and knowing that he wanted to come back we sat down a few years ago after we had that succession planning and worked out which direction we wanted the farm to take and my point of view was that it's no point going in the direction that I really wanted to go because I'm not the one that's going to take it forward so we agreed uh, on a direction that the farm would take and what sort of sheep that we were going to have and we've taken it from there. So whenever we um, have any outside external input onto the management of the property, both of us are involved in that all the time, at every time. Hugh, that sounds like a very seamless and thoughtful kind of approach. It's as though you've tried to put yourself in your children's shoes. Well, well that's, that's very true. Drew, I've been involved in finance all my life and mainly finance for rural people. And I have seen many, many families where there has been no succession planning and no direction and nothing's been laid down on the table as to what's 
you know, the future of the younger generation. And I've seen it in circumstances where the next generation gets to sort of 50 or 55 and they still haven't got their hands, you know, on the steering wheel, if you like, only to realise that the reason they haven't got their hands on the steering wheel is because mum and dad haven't got anything else to live on. And sometimes the farm sold for the parents to retire and the son or daughter is left with no future or they could have taken a career in a different direction if they knew that was going to be the end result. But they're left um, having spent most of their life on the farm and then nothing to farm. That was just something that I'd picked up time and time again over my journey and I didn't want that to happen. So we, we'd made a plan to make sure that we were catered for off-farm and our, and our other son, we've got some off-farm assets that we'd built up over a period of time and um, it was fair as we could make it. That sounds like a strategy you developed a long time ago and put into place gradually over time. Yeah, well, uh, in fact, my mother was um, the instigator. She spoke about it all the time. My father wasn't really um, thinking ahead. He was happy working on the farm, but my mother was the one who um, had a strategy in place for succession. You know, I learned from her not to be afraid to have the discussion and, you know, to plan and get everybody involved in the discussion. So we didn't actually have an external facilitator, if you like. We had mum and she uh, facilitated and um, drove the direction of the succession, if you like. Beyond that, Hugh, have you developed any strategies for separating business discussions and family discussions? I was very interested to hear the comments that John had made earlier. And I suppose in my mind, he was talking about quite a large family where it looked as though it could expand dramatically with cousins. In my circumstance, it's far narrower. We don't mind having discussions around the dining table, but we don't sort of dwell on them. But sometimes it's just a nice relaxing time after dinner to have a chat about what's happening on the farm. And probably because my son is not working on the farm every day, so it's a bit of a catch-up. And he's got his business and I'm on the farm all the time. Also, my wife is not on the farm all the time. So, you know, we actually don't mind that conversation around the table. But generally, when there's more formal conversations, we might do that with somebody else, with our accountant or um, our solicitor. And that's really sort of nitty gritty conversation, I guess. Hugh, it sounds like you have very clear lines of communication and from that I'd imagine the opportunities for conflict are few and far between, but if they do arise, how do you resolve them? I think there will always be conflict and conflict in families is really difficult, but you just have to keep the conversation open and you also, and John made note of this and I was really interested in that, in that there is always some give and take you've got to be prepared to give a bit. And often the smallest issues are the ones that create the biggest problem, you know, how you're going about doing something. And I experienced that with my father. You know, it was how you're going to do something. It's not really the issue. If you want the job done, you know, do you want me to muster the mob of sheep from the back paddock and bring them to the yards? If that's what you want, fine, let me do it. But don't tell me how to do it and, you know, which way to approach the gate. I'll work that out and I might actually have a better way. But I think if you let yourself go from those smaller issues, you'll find it works a lot better. Just be happy with the end result because everybody has a different way and likes to do it their own way. And in reality, it doesn't really matter. But you do have to let go a little bit in that regard. 
Hugh, what's the most valuable lesson you've learned about running a family farm effectively that you would pass on to others? The most important thing is to start with a succession plan. And even if you have a number of people working in the business, you must have a succession plan so that they understand what their future is. Because, you know, they will have a family and they want to know what their future is. It's great to work along with the aim of building an enterprise and growing it. But unless you actually have a succession plan and a plan and a strategy for the future, people are just meandering really and they need to have a focus. So I think it's really important to go right back to the start, have a succession plan. Part of that succession plan is a strategy for everybody in the family really and that's what should come out of it. And then everybody knows their position and where they stand. And leave, they must not leave any cards on the table. Everybody's got to be really open and frank. Thanks to Hugh McDonald and also John Bruins for joining me in the National Centre for Pharma Health Studio and sharing their insights into how to create an effective work-farm-family balance. To explore this topic in more detail, click on the link in the podcast notes for the Campfire Pharma Health website. I'm Drew Radford. Thanks for listening. Listener.